you like to be finding your way back in? Find a seat, try and find somewhere in front of an air conditioning unit or a fan. This is great here, by the way. So if you want to sit in, the, in this area, even right in front of me, my spot's free now. So this is lovely. I've been enjoying it. My name is Mark. For those of you who are uh, new uh, or visiting this week, my name is Mark. I'm one of the leaders here. And uh, it's great to be back in Fredericton after a few weeks away. I've had a vacation uh, with my family in England. We went back to England for three weeks. And uh, in fact, my family is still there. They're coming back on Tuesday. And uh, as I said, if you read the weekly email, it was great to be able to visit fam family there, celebrate my parents' 50th wedding anniversary, go and visit friends in Sheffield, which is the city where um, I lived for many years with my family. We used to belong to City Church in Sheffield, and uh, they're very much with us as a church. They, um, they wanted an update as to where we were at. We had a whole evening updating them about our lives and about the church here. They prayed for us, and I know they continue to pray for us. Um, I got a, a message even this last Friday when I was back here saying, we're praying for you again as a church. We're with you. Um, just so encouraging uh, to know that. Having said that, it is so good to be home, and uh, this is very much home for us now, and uh, we're looking forward to spending the remainder of the summer here in Fredericton, and it's great to be able to wor worship here, finally, at the Capital Club. Um, it's the fourth week of the church being here, and it's only my first week here, and I'm loving it. I don't know about the rest of you. I just think, like, this is, like, the worship times was so, it's so good, and I've heard that it's been great times of worship over the last few weeks, maybe a little bit of stickiness in other weeks when it's been a little hotter, but we're, we seem to be all doing well today. So, uh, and, and people have obviously adapted to not having a screen. Um, I, uh, I haven't quite ad adapted yet. I spent 30 minutes preparing my PowerPoint yesterday for this message, <laughs> and uh, I only went to upload it, and I'm thinking, nothing's been uploaded for weeks. And, uh, and then I went, oh, no. <laughs> anyway. So, it's good to be back. We have, uh, when I've been preaching, over the last few months I've been preaching through Mark's gospel, and we are up to Mark chapter 5, and uh, I'm going to have to hold this because this fan's going to blow it. So, if you've uh, got a Bible, you might want to turn to Mark chapter 5, or on your phone, or iPad, uh, tablet, whatever. We're going to read the first 20 verses in a moment. But before we do, um, here's a question. Here's a question. Is there only hope in Jesus for those people who are really able to make a choice about it and investigate further, if you, if you know what I mean. So, so do we pretty much have to have our act together and be reasonably stable in our lives to be able to consider the claims of Jesus? No, some people are saying clearly not. <laughs> and looking out, I realize it was a bit of a silly question to ask. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> But sometimes, sometimes we can default to thinking that, can't we, don't we? We kind of look at the people that we know in our lives and we think, oh, you know what, this, this person who I work with, they might be really open to coming on an alpha course or they might be open to coming to one of our um, worship meetings that we, that we have. Uh, we might invite someone like that. But, but what about the guy who, who we see wandering down the street talking to himself all the time, not just on his Bluetooth? Um, or, or what about... <laughs> What about the girl who, who is so consumed by things, who withdraws and shuts herself in a room and, and self-harms and, 
What about the woman who has just had so much pain in her life and maybe been forced into prostitution and then to, to, to just hide the shame and the, and the agony of that gets into heroin just to, just to numb herself from all that and sees her life totally spiral down into addiction? What about those people whose life seems to have totally fallen apart? Is there hope for, for them? And I believe the passage that we're going to look at today, Mark 5, shows us that there is real hope for such people. There's real hope for all of us because we're going to see how Jesus encounters a man who seems to be in a hopeless state. He seems to be in a desperate, helpless, hopeless state. He's a man who everyone else in society has given up on and, and to some extent lives in some fear of. Yet Jesus seeks him out and brings healing and deliverance and restoration. So that's what we're going to look at today. If you've found your passage, we're going to look at Mark 5. Let's read that together. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he'd often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want from me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into, um, into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, around 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons, sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who'd seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who'd been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus didn't let him, but said, Go to your own, own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. All right. So this passage begins when Jesus and his disciples were arriving in the region of uh, the Gerasenes. The previous evening, they traveled over from the other side of the lake um, by boat. There'd been a big crowd who'd been among them. Jesus had been teaching and performing miracles and healing people, as we've seen him healing people even this morning. And uh, uh, he decided, let's go over to the other side. And so they got in the boat, and a vicious storm blew up, which, um, which made the disciples, I mean, many of them were experienced in this area, um, in, in being out on the lake, but it made them terrified. But without a word, Jesus calmed the storm, leaving the disciples even more 
afraid about who Jesus was, that he would be able to do this. So when they landed, it would have been nighttime. They set off in the evening. But as soon as they landed, they encountered another storm. But this time, the storm was in the form of a human being. And again, it could have easily left them terrified, the disciples. As soon as Jesus got out of the boat, this man, this wild man, rushes towards him, shouting, screaming at the top of his voice, falling at his feet. I would guess if you're one of the disciples at that point, you might be thinking, okay, let's get back in the boat. Uh, let's get back across this lake. Maybe we shouldn't have come here after all. Um, and Mark gives some detail about the backstory of this man, and, and Luke, in his account, uh, gives a little more detail as well. Um, this man had an impure or unclean spirit, the Bible says, and this ended up massively affecting him. He was living in tombs. He was surrounded by bodies uh, or the bones of dead people, and there would have been vermin as well and all sorts. He was, he was just in the worst place to be living. Luke's account tells us that he was naked. He would cry out day and night. He would cut himself with the stones. So he's going to be bleeding and scarred and calloused. And people who knew him, people in the area came. They tried to chain him up. They tried to subdue him in that way. Um, no medication in those days. So that was the only way they would have known how to, how to try and subdue him. But he's got this demonic strength. He manages to break even chains. Superhuman strength, really that he's got because of uh, the, the demons that are just afflicting him. Um, but as we read it, it's, it's, it's heart-wrenching stuff. It's heart-wrenching stuff because here is a man. Here is a human being who's been created in the image of God. The Bible tells us we're created in God's image. We all reflect him, his image, to some extent. But here there's these demons and and, and the enemy tries to destroy everything that is godly. And so because we're created in the image of God, he's trying to destroy the image of God within this man. And, and it seems like he's succeeding. It's succeeding. Being destroyed by evil spirits. It's important for us to be aware that there is a reality to the demonic Many of us who've been involved and are, in, are involved currently in pastoral ministry have occasionally, will have occasionally encountered situations somewhat similar to this, and certainly situations as real as this, even if they are somewhat a little less dramatic. Sometimes they are very dramatic, to be fair. Um, there's a reality to this. The, the danger in thinking about the demonic these days, people tend to fall into different camps, and some people will, will go to one of two extremes, and some people will say, well, look, um, there's demons everywhere. You know, you, ev everything that goes wrong, oh, it must be a demon. The enemy is attacking me. I'm under opposition. Just, well, some of it's just the stuff of life. <laughs> we don't have to hunt for demons everywhere. We don't have to say, uh, you know, the devil is on our case the whole time. The devil isn't everywhere. <laughs> There are demons, but the devil isn't everywhere. And so we don't, we don't have to say that everything that goes on in our life is demonic. Equally, some people go to the other extreme and say, oh, well, it's all just supernatural. People don't understand. Uh, people didn't understand in those days. And now we can explain it all the way by, by uh, other means. Um, we can come up with more logical reasons for why someone would be behaving like this. 
there's no such thing as, as demons. And either of those extremes is probably uh, is a dangerous extreme. And, and actually, I would say the enemy is quite happy with us to hold either of those two extremes. He was happy for us to be totally occupied and, and preoccupied with him. And actually, we, we want to have our focus on God primarily. We want to have our focus on Jesus like we've been doing this morning. We don't come uh, you know, with our mind fixed on evil. We come and we say, actually, at his name, demons flee. And so we can lift Jesus up and glorify him. Um, but if, we, if we're totally unaware that we have an enemy, if we're totally unaware of things that can afflict us and affect us, even as believers, not possessed, but we can be afflicted um, as believers, then we can be unprepared for the battle um, which we are in. Demons are real. They do have a real influence on people. And those who are influenced uh, by demons tend to spiral down. They tend to descend. Their lives get worse and worse. They descend into a life of uh, filthy living, both physically in people's appearance often, and morally as well. They can often get into drug abuse. Uh, their language can become very obscene. Uh, the sexual perversions, degrading behavior. It's all this thing which is trying to, to you know, affect us and have all of our godly characteristics stripped away from us, all of the fruit of the Spirit gone. It's a miserable life. It is a miserable, miserable life. This man here was, was uncontrollable. He even seemed dangerous. But inside he was totally wretched. He was totally wretched. He had no one to love and care for him anymore. He had no friends. He lived out his days alone in tombs. He's crying out. He's cutting himself. Maybe he's cutting himself to try and even expel the demons himself. But actually, uh, I would say more likely is that these demons were trying to get him almost to, to finally destroy his life, the life, the image of God within him. To many people do end up committing suicide, killing themselves, and that's the plan. That's always the plan of the enemy. He tries to seek. He seeks to kill, and he seeks to destroy. And, and actually, that's where ongoing sin and opening yourself up to the influence of evil in whatever form, it can lead to that point. It can lead to these extremes. It does sometimes lead to these extremes. And it's worth pointing out that not everyone, everyone who is, not everyone who is oppressed and afflicted by demons um, presents so grossly, so obviously. We, um, we saw in Mark 1, back at the start of when we were looking through this, in Mark 1 there was a man who was afflicted by demons, but he, he wasn't coming rushing out and screaming at first. He was actually in the synagogue where Jesus was speaking, and actually it was only as Jesus was teaching that this, this demon kind of manifested itself, became apparent to people and apparent to Jesus. Up until that point, he'd pretty much been able to hold it all together. It, it appears that he was a regular worshiper in the synagogue, um, maybe a respectable uh, man who, who people would have looked up to, uh, thought was somewhat um, religious, and, uh, but he'd got this thing going on in his life as well, and Jesus dealt with that. But, uh, you know, there can be extremes. Sometimes it's obvious, sometimes things not so obvious at first. But actually, entering into sin, exposing yourself to that in whatever form, it can be a way 
that provides an opening for the enemy to come. If that is a persistent sin, if you keep going back, keep entering into that, it can actually become an area that the enemy can get a foothold on. And eventually, if things aren't dealt with, it can lead to this point. In James chapter 1, we read James say this, Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has been conceived, it gives birth to sin. So we desire something, then we give ourselves to that. It's conceived. It gives birth to sin. And then it says, and sin, when it is full grown, so sin grows over time. When it is full grown, gives birth to death. So there's, a, there's a, something that happens when we give ourselves to sin. When we keep giving ourselves to this thing, it will get worse and worse. First Peter and chapter 5, verse 8, Peter says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. And then Peter says, stand firm and resist. There was a Russian poet called Ivan uh, Turgenev, and he said this. He said, I don't know what the heart of a bad man is like, but I know what the heart of a good man is like, and it's terrible. Interesting quote, eh? I don't know what the heart of a bad man is like, but I know what the heart of a good man is like, and it's terrible. Our hearts are so deceptive. Our hearts can so easily lead us into destructive sin. And we can allow Satan to have a foothold into our lives. And that foothold can easily become a stronghold. And Satan will do anything to get that stronghold and attack God and attack us because we were made in his image. Let me give you an illustration. Hopefully this will help give an idea. I don't know how many of you have ever, uh, when you've been on your computer... Uh, or, or maybe a tablet, and you, uh, you, you suddenly realize that your computer has got a virus. Maybe, uh, you've, uh, maybe you've clicked on a link that looked perfectly innocent, and, uh, and suddenly you thought, oh no, I shouldn't have clicked on that link because something weird now is going on. Um, maybe, maybe actually you realized it wasn't innocent and you decided to click on it anyway, and then you like, oh no, I really shouldn't have done that. Um, Maybe uh, it might have looked like a genuine Facebook friend, uh, you know, and, and you think, oh, well, that person's wanting that. And then suddenly you think, oh, no, oh, no, there's something going on here. There's a virus. It's too late. I've clicked on the link, and now my computer is infected with this virus. At that point, you have to make a choice. You know, are you going to do something about it? Or are you just going to say, oh, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to leave it. If you do something about it, you might, you might go and you might say, uh, oh, I'm going to download some antivirus software, and it, and it gets dealt with. Or maybe it's a little worse and you think, well, I'm going to need to take this to someone who, who knows a little bit more about computers. So you take it to uh, an expert in computing, and they, they get into it, and they deal with it for you. They help you out with it. Um, but if you just leave it, then bit by bit, that virus will start infecting different areas of your computer, it'll start doing harm, it'll start corrupting things, it'll start destroying files and different applications, it will start uh, breaking everything down. Eventually, the whole thing can shut down. And, and that can be what it's like when we allow sin to take root in our lives. 
when we allow sin to take root in our lives, if we, if we have soft hearts, if we think, do you know what, I need, I need to deal with this quickly. I need to confess. I need to get before God and get right with God. Then there's forgiveness. There's a cleansing that goes on when we come before God. He'll forgive us of all unrighteousness. He cleanses us. We don't have to stay in that place. We don't have to wallow in shame and guilt or anything like that because it's wiped clean. We can be free. That's why Jesus died. Jesus died because he took the sin and the shame and the punishment for sin so we could stand free. But if we don't do anything about that, if we just allow sin to go on, then it can really affect us. That's why we have passages like Ephesians 4 and verse 26 and 27, which says, in your anger, do not sin. So is anger sin? Not necessarily. It's okay to be angry sometimes. Otherwise, it would, Paul would say, anger is sin. Don't be angry. He doesn't. He says, in your anger, don't sin. Anger, if it's allowed to just take root and fester, can lead into sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're angry. Well, what's going to happen when the sun goes down? Well, what, what, what he's meaning is, <laughs> what he's meaning is, don't allow it to last. Don't allow it to drag on from day to day to day. If, you've got, if you're angry with your husband or your wife, deal with it quickly. Don't wait. Don't just put it off. Don't allow it to fester. It's not going to get better on its own. And then it says, and do not give the devil a foothold. If we allow sin to go on, we're giving the devil a foothold. Don't give the devil a foothold by allowing anger to settle in us. Just give it, it's just giving it an opportunity to become a bigger problem. And if we don't deal with it, it affects how we relate to other people. It began, begins to affect everything. It begins to affect all our relationships. It begins to affect our relationship with God. It begins to affect our relationship with the church. If we just allow this. So th- there's uh, many passages in the Bible that say that. Don't allow a root of bitterness. That's another passage. To take, don't allow the bitterness to take root. It will just grow we're bitter about something, if we're resentful. Now, if there's things that you need to deal with today with other people, if there's anger, unresolved, bitterness, jealousy, hurt, and and both parties know about it, deal with it one another. If you need to talk to someone, talk to someone. If they don't know about it and you can deal with it with God, just go to God and ask God to, to heal your heart. Sometimes it doesn't always help to dump your stuff on someone else. You, oh, I'm free of it now. That's great. And the, the other person's going, oh, I didn't even know. <laughs> someone once told me, they said, I've been really angry with you for two years since you did this. And I, they told me this stuff. And they said, anyway, I'm free of it now. I'm glad I've told you. And I was thinking, I'm not glad you've told me. <laughs> <laughs> two years. <laughs> anyway. Um, but but it's, good, it's good to get right with it. We, we don't want to give the enemy any foothold in our lives. Anyway, this demonized man, he screams at Jesus. What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, do not torture me. Well, this man was already being tortured. But, but this was not the man speaking, really. This was the, the demon or the demons speaking through the man. And, and it can look as though it's a bit of a confession of faith, doesn't it? He's, like, he's calling Jesus son of the most high God. You go, oh, it, what's going on here? Is this man bowing down? Is he kneeling at Jesus' feet? Is he worshiping Jesus? Uh, if it's the demons, they're not going to worship Jesus. Well, he's not 
He's not worshipping Jesus at this point. This isn't a confession of faith. Actually, the evil spirits are, are trying to control Jesus in some way. In those times, it was thought that if you know someone's name, if you know someone's name or a spirit's name, that was a way of, of having control over that person. That was just what, what people would have understood in those days. And, uh, and so we, we see that here. The, the demons are, are, are saying, well, we know your name, Jesus. We know who you are. And it's almost like a power play trying to go on. We see it in other parts of the Bible as well. There's uh, the most um, obvious example is in Acts 16, uh, verse 17. The, um, Paul is in Philippi, I think, and he's walking around with, uh, with others. And, uh, and the Bible says, or in Luke in Acts says, she followed Paul, this woman. Sorry, there's a woman with an evil spirit. A woman, uh, she was a fortune teller. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Well, that, that looks positive. <laughs> it's quite good if people are coming up and say, oh, listen to these guys, old women. They're, they're, they're really telling you the way to be saved. It says, finally, she kept up this up for days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at this point, the spirit left her. This was just the, the spirit, just like, oh, I know who you are. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and, it's a power play. Paul's like, no, I don't want you evil spirit telling, saying these things. Depart in Jesus' name. Just because someone's speaking in religious language doesn't mean that they know Jesus. Doesn't mean that they're speaking in the power of the Holy Spirit. People can speak with religious language, use religious terminology, even speak about Jesus, even name Jesus, even say that Jesus is the Son of God. It doesn't mean necessarily that they're speaking in the power of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't necessarily mean that they know Jesus. We need to be able to discern between different spirits. That's one of the gifts of the Spirit that Paul talks about in, in 1 Corinthians the gift of discerning between different spirits. As we talk to people, they might sound just the same as someone else talking to us, but we have to discern. And there's those of us who are very good at discerning because they've got the gift of discernment, even in our meetings, even with people who outwardly seem very godly. So Jesus addresses the spirit in this man and commands it to come out, but it doesn't happen immediately. It says uh, Jesus has already um, commanded the spirit, come out of this man, you impure spirit. But the spirit is still dialoguing with Jesus. So it hasn't happened immediately, even when Jesus has commanded it to come out. So there's a battle going on. And the spirit starts trying to even negotiate with Jesus. Swear to God that you won't torture me. Trying to, trying to you know, say, this is, well, this is what's going to happen. It's trying to set the agenda. But Jesus has far more power and authority. Jesus asks for the Spirit's name. And the Spirit replies, we are legion, for we're many. A legion was about 6,000 soldiers and 120 horsemen. I mean, huge numbers. Huge numbers, great strength. But Jesus' power is greater. Jesus' power is greater even than legion. So the demons beg Jesus to send them into the pigs uh, that are nearby, 2,000 pigs nearby. He says, send us into the pigs. Interestingly, Jesus allows it. Jesus says, okay. 
I'll do that. And uh, he commands the demons to leave. And they leave. And they go straight into the pigs. And these pigs, 2,000 of them, they rush down a steep bank into the sea. And they drown. Which, to be honest now, makes it very clear what they were trying to do in the first place. These demons are seeking to destroy life. Now, obviously, pigs, for Jews especially, would not have... Uh, would not have reflected the image of God. They would have seen them as unclean. Jews reading this uh, passage would have been quite amused by the pigs all, <laughs> all drowning. But, uh, but demons want to destroy. The enemy wants to destroy. The man still had the ability just about to cling on to life. But now, immediately, this man is set free. He's set free. He's in his right mind. He's self-controlled. He's being appropriate. The power of Jesus Christ completely blew away evil. Completely blew it away. This man who was so badly afflicted, so disfigured, has now got the image of God restored in him. He's been restored. He's been set free. He's been brought back to the place that God desired him to be. It's, it's a transformation that's impossible outside of the power of God. Only God can do that. These, men, these people were trying to chain him up. They were trying to change him in different ways. They would have talked to him at different points earlier on. Nothing helped. Nothing helped. Only the power of Jesus Christ. Those people who were tending the pigs, looking after the pigs, they run off. I guess you would. <laughs> Pretty scary. And then they go and tell people, and people start to come, and they, and they start to see what's happened. But what's going on? What's going on here? And, and they see this, this former demon-possessed man, and he's sitting clothed. He's sitting in his right mind at the feet of Jesus. Luke chapter 8 tells us that. He's being restored. God has changed his life. It's hardly recognizable. He's the guy who was in chains. He's the guy who was in the tombs. He's the guy who was shouting out the madman. Now he's sitting, as you're sitting, listening to Jesus. But the people, they were afraid. They were afraid. There's a lot of fear going on in these passages, if you noticed. Going over on the in the boat, disciples are afraid. Jesus calms the storm, disciples are afraid. They get to this man. Man comes out to them. They were probably afraid. Jesus deals with it. People come and see what's happened. They were afraid. There's a lot of fear. Well, why were these men afraid? In the same way as when Jesus calmed the storm, the issue had gone away. The disciples still feared. Now the issue has gone away with this man. The demons have left. They're seeing normality. But the people are afraid. The people are afraid. I mean, it's good to have a godly fear when you're in the presence of God. That's what the disciples had in the boat. They were like, whoa, who is this man who can even calm the waves and the wind? Who, who is this? That was a godly fear that came upon them. It was a good fear. It's, it's right for us to fear God sometimes. Sometimes we can be too casual with God. We can be flippant about God. Oh, yeah, God. He's just a pal of mine, yeah. No, he's not. 
He's a holy God. Yes, Jesus is our brother. Yes, we're children of God. Yes, we can come into his presence. Yes, we can call God Father. But we can't get casual with God. We can't be flippant with God. We need to have a holy reverence, a holy fear of God. But that actually wasn't what these people had who came to see. They, their fear wasn't leading them to follow Jesus. Their fear wasn't leading them to worship Jesus. Their fear wasn't leading them to bow down before Jesus in awe. Actually, their fear was what is going on. Normality has been changed, and, and I don't know if we like this. You know, some of them would have been commercially affected. There was 2,000 pigs. There were people looking after the pigs. There was a business going on. That business has now been destroyed. It's all in the sea, drowned. <gasps> we don't like changes to our lives going on. We don't like things affecting us. People can feel like that when Jesus enters their life. They see something of the power of Jesus, but they say, I don't know if I want that in my life. They see something amazing, like Clinton was standing here and saying, well, Jesus has healed my arm. And, 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 and some of us will be like, yeah, that's amazing. And some will be like, oh, this is, I'm feeling a little uncomfortable about that. And, and we can wrestle with it in ourselves. Well, why am I feeling uncomfortable? I don't know. Well, there can be all sorts of reasons. But Jesus provokes something in us. The power of God provokes something in us. And sometimes, if we're honest, we don't like it. Sometimes people don't like it. Now, th there, was a, there was a song once just come to my mind. I don't even know if, uh, if it was out here. Uh, what if God was one of us? It was a long time ago. Uh, you know that one? If, what if God was one of us? Uh, and, and there was a line in that which said, if God, I think it was, if God had a face and if I see him, would I have to believe in things like heaven and in Jesus and the saints and all of the prophets? And there's an, there's an element that people have that because we don't want to believe. We don't want to submit our lives to Jesus. We want to go our own way. We want to do our own thing. And yes, we might mess our lives up, but at least we're messing our own lives up. And we don't want to hand it over to Jesus. And so it's easy not to believe in Jesus. It's easy just to say, oh, there's no God. And then we're confronted by something happening and we're like, I don't get that. I've got a friend uh, who's actually uh, probably going to be coming to the church. Uh, she's been before, Ginny. Um, uh, and she, she was in a wheelchair and she got healed. And she, her spine had all crumbled and everything through years of abuse, actually. And, and, but God healed her at a Jordan Wimber conference years ago. And she was able to stand and bend her back and move about. And, and she, she used to wear this corset, which you know, held her back in place and straight. And she, she often speaks on Alpha courses, and she'll come and, and give her testimony. I won't spoil it too much, because I think I'm going to ask her to give her testimony when she comes here. But, but she gives this amazing testimony on Alpha, and, and sometimes people just they can't get their heads around it, because they want to say, oh, I don't believe God heals. But then she's standing there with the evidence that he does. And, and it's interesting. Some people, at that point, they give their lives to Jesus. And some people go, I can't handle this. I don't want to know any more about this God. And they walk away. And you're like, why are you walking away? Well, they don't want their lives to change, even if there is a God. Even if there is a God. The Bible tells us we don't seek after God. It says we run away from God. God seeks after us. We don't seek God. So despite the freedom that Jesus brings, and these people have seen it with their own eyes. They ask him to leave. 
They say, leave our place. Leave our land. And he does. He leaves. He leaves. Jesus had come to their region to bring life and love of God in all of its fullness. And they missed out. They even saw the power of Jesus at work, and they missed out. If you've encountered God today, if you don't know Jesus in your life, if you're not following him, and you've seen the power of God today, and you've heard about it, and you, you, you've, it's got to the point where you're like, I can't just say it, it's not real anymore. Don't just walk away. Don't ask Jesus to leave. Because sometimes he does. Sometimes he just does. It's tragic. It was tragic. These people, they never got to know the love of Jesus, probably. The man himself has a different reaction. He wants to stay with Jesus. He says, let me stay with you. And Jesus says, no. (laughs) What? What's going on here? No, you can't come with me. Instead, he sends him home. He says, go to your family. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Tell them how much he's had mercy on you. So this man does that. He goes to the Decapolis. That's 10 cities in the region. And he amazes people with his story about what Jesus has done in his life. This man is actually the first apostle that Jesus sends. Apostle means sent one. Apostle means sent one. He's the f- that's a, it's a great Bible trivia question. Who was the first apostle of Jesus Christ? First one to be sent by Jesus to proclaim the good news of the kingdom before any of the disciples were the Gerasian demoniac. That's who he was. Go out and preach about me. Tell people about me to your family and all of these ten cities. And he does. He does. No longer is he written. It's such a transformation. He's not written off by society anymore. He's actually being restored, and he's being used for God's glory. This was a man who was hopeless outside of Jesus, and now God's using him to proclaim his kingdom. What an amazing God we have. What an amazing God we have. Okay, let's wrap it up. Let's get back to our starting question. Surely... Is it the case that some people are so distraught, so messed up, so afflicted mentally and physically, so far gone that that they just cannot seek Jesus out anymore, that they can't even call out for help? Maybe. But the good news is that Jesus seeks those people out. Jesus seeks those people out. I mean, you could say, on first glance at this, you could say, oh, well, Jesus was there, and the man saw him, and he came, and he ran towards him. But no, that's not fully understanding what's going on here. Jesus takes the initiative here. He was the one who said, in Mark chapter 4, 35, says that day when evening came, he's got the crowds there, he's ministering, he's teaching and preaching, and he says to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. Well, why is he doing that? Because there's a man on the other side of the lake who he needs to set free. He's not gone for everyone else. Everyone else is rejecting him. Everyone else is saying leave. He's gone to the other side of the lake for this one man 
who is in a desperate state, who everyone else has rejected. And he's gone to set him free. And Jesus still does the same today. This is the same Jesus, the same God. No one is beyond his reach. No one is out of the scope of his love and care. So if there are people we know that are in similar, similar, similar desperate situations, and I imagine for most of us there will be people who we know who are in similar situations, and we don't know what we can do, and we can try and, and it seems like nothing is working, and we, we don't know how it's going to get resolved. Jesus does. Jesus cares. Jesus is the one who goes. And we can pray. We can pray for him to intervene. We can pray for him to transform it. And it's in his heart. That's what he wants to do. That's what he longs to do. So when we gather as a church, that's often what we do. We're going to do it tonight. We're, we're going to pray for Gary and Barb, and we really want to bless them. But we're going to pray for other situations. And we're going to pray for God to intervene. And it's in situations where, where we can't do anything. We feel unable, but Jesus can. Jesus can. And we can be confident that he's willing. All right. As I said earlier, demonic affliction doesn't always tend, it doesn't tend to start at this point. The man in Mark 1, sitting in a worship meeting until Jesus began to teach. Maybe you look fine on the outside, but you know things that are going on on the inside. You know struggles that you're facing. You know what your life is really like. You know that inside you're scarred deeply. You know that you have filthy habits. You know that you are dishonest. You know that you're feeling beyond help, beyond hope. You're tossed and turned around and you're trying your best to, to cover it up and to present well, but you know the stuff going on inside. And, and you've got to the point where you think, I don't know how this is gonna change. Let me tell you this morning, Jesus can come and transform your life. There is hope. Please, please come and seek help from us. We're, we're not wanting to make a public show of anything this morning. Although if God wants to do something this morning, he'll do something this morning. But we don't want, it's not a public thing. It's not, you know, it's great to pray for people to be healed and we see God's power, but we want to see people set free as well. But it doesn't have to be in this context. You can come, you can speak to one of us right away. Speak to us after the meeting. Even message us on, on your phone if you want to just let us know. I tell, I tell you what, don't leave it until you get home. Don't leave it until you get home. Even if, even if it's just to say, look, I want to meet with you. I want to I say where things are at in my life. I need help. We can help you. We want to bring the power of Jesus. It's not us who can do anything as elders. It's like when we were praying. It's Jesus. It's Jesus who's setting people free. Don't, don't leave it. Don't be, you'll be persuaded out of it. You won't do it. Don't leave it. God can deliver us. He can deliver those we love from the power of evil in our lives. At its extreme, the work of the enemy is obvious. For many, it's still hidden other than for our own hearts and in ourselves. 
but let's remember the power of God is far greater than the power of the enemy. The Bible says, greater is he that is in us than he who is in the world. We don't, it's not an even fight. It's not an even fight. Don't believe that. The power of Jesus is far, far greater. Come to him. He will deliver you. I urge you, turn to Christ today. All right, let's pray. Maybe the worship band want to come back up. I'll hand it over to Ollie in a moment. Father God, Father God, we're so encouraged when we see your word, when we read your word and we see that God, you go and you pursue people who everyone else runs away from. You pursue people who seem lost and hopeless and helpless and you, and you rescue them. And Lord, we know you did it with us. We know your word says that you came even when we were still in our sin. You came and you died for us. We don't have to get ourselves right for you to come and set us free. Lord, I thank you for so many of us here. You have set us free from the power of sin in our life. We're able to walk free. Thank you we can live in the light and we can walk in the light and we can walk in truth. But Lord, I want to pray for people here who know that there's things going on in them that they just can't get free from, who know that things are not getting better, who know that things are getting worse. And I want to pray you'll give hope to their hearts and I pray that they will find freedom in you, that you will set people free again. Even today, we pray in Jesus' name. Lord, give us hope for those we love whose lives have spiraled and just seem hopeless. Lord, give us hope. Give us faith. We want to call on you even tonight, we pray, to rescue and restore. Oh God, come in your power, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.